Well, thanks so much for joining us today for TCC at Home. Uh, so grateful uh, you've chosen to do so and uh, excited about our time in God's Word. I hope you enjoyed uh, our worship uh, this morning, uh, that it's prepared your heart uh, to hear what God has to say to us. We continue our series in Ephesians entitled, We Are the Church. And this morning, uh, I, w- I want to bring a message uh, to us from Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13, entitled, The Gospel for the Church. I believe the imperative that's before the church today is to hold fast to and rediscover the beauty of what God is doing through the gospel and what God is doing through the church, through the gospel and through the church. That's the the focus of our passage today uh, here in Ephesians 3. Uh, If you turn your eyes down to verse 6, you'll see uh, one of the key verses of this passage uh, where Paul talks about the mystery, which we'll unpack more fully in a moment. But he talks about the mystery, which is defined as the Gentiles being fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers in the promise in Christ Jesus. And here's the phrase, through the gospel. And he goes on in verse 10, the other key uh, verse in our passage, and he talks about all that God has been doing to make known the gospel through Paul and by extension through us today. And he says that this is so that through the church, there's our phrase, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Our passage is somewhat of, a, of an accident or, or at least an aside. Uh, it, it, it really is uh, a, a, an aside that is brought out when the Apostle Paul begins to think about his calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We, we see it there in verse 1, if you, if you read with me, where, where Paul says, For this reason, which he's reflecting on what he had just said in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, especially as he talked about the unity of Jew and Gentile, united in Christ through the reconciling work of Christ on the cross. Those who are divided are now united uh, with a common source uh, of uh, of identity, uh, being members of the household of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, built on a common source of truth, the apostles with a common savior, Jesus Christ, and a common pursuit, which is to to grow, to be built up uh, into the dwelling place for God. And so Paul says, in, in light of this, for this reason, I, Paul a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he's undone. And then then he, he takes it in a different direction. He won't pick up this thought until verse 14, which we'll look at next week, as I'm excited for uh, Brandon Watkins to, to preach uh, from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Uh, by God's grace, we, we will have welcomed in uh, a new little girl into the world uh, by that time, uh, and uh, excited for what God has in store for us next week as Brandon preaches. But um, <clears throat> we just introduced his sermon for next week, but, but Paul here uh, it takes us in a different direction as he uh, begins to reintroduce himself in a way or remind uh, th- those who are reading this letter, which would have been all throughout the region of Ephesus, kind of a circular letter that was going about to encourage the churches. Uh, and Paul saying, I'm in prison on behalf 
or for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And, and that thought, the, the thought of, uh, of his work as, as an apostle, as being sent to the Gentiles and the, and the cost of that work that, that has landed him in prison, not only for preaching the gospel, but for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, causes Paul to, to step back uh, and, and really help us gain a, a fresh vision of what God has done through the gospel what God is doing through the gospel, and what God especially is doing through the church. Paul's sudden detour in this passage is to help us understand those two things, what God's doing through the gospel and what God's doing through the church. It should cause us to stop and ask, am I thinking about the gospel and the church rightly? Am am I appropriately moved by the work of God in Christ not only for me, but for us. It, it should cause us to, to think about these things. And, and in fact, when we think about the, the, the book of Ephesians as a whole, uh, the book of Ephesians as a whole is, is really following a similar pattern. Verses are in chapters 1 through 3. Paul is going to, to describe the, uh, the, the beautiful message of the gospel. He unpacks what is true of, of those who are in Christ and what's true of the church because of the gospel. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he makes a turn. Uh, there's no commands in chapters 1 through 3. But in chapters 4 through 6, he begins to, to show us what it means to live personally and what it means for us to live corporately in light of the gospel. You, you could say it this way, that Paul is laying out a vision for the church that's defined by gospel doctrine in chapters 1 through 3 and gospel culture in chapters 4 through 6. This isn't original to me, but uh, one of my favorite authors and, and preachers, Ray Ortland, describes it this way. He says, gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. When the gospel is clear and the culture is beautiful, the church will be powerful. But there's no shortcuts in getting there. Without the doctrine, the culture will be weak. Without the culture, the doctrine will seem pointless. For the analytical and mathematical types, uh, here, here's how we could break this down into uh, an equation. Gospel doctrine minus gospel culture will equal hypocrisy. And gospel culture minus gospel doctrine will equal fragility, a weak church. But gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals power, the power of of God, that people would see Jesus in us as we build our churches into gospel culture with the resources of gospel doctrine taking no shortcuts. Here in chapter 3, it's this transition from what Paul has been laying out in verses 1, or in chapters 1 and chapters 2, the, the riches that God has blessed us with in Christ there in chapter 1, and the need for God to open our eyes to see all that we have in Christ, and then the, the beauty of the gospel uh, that, that saves sinners like you and me, and, and how that gospel not only uh, reconciles us vertically to God, but horizontally to one another. He's been laying all this out, and then then here he is just pausing to to reflect once more on this gospel and what it means for the church. And so what I want for us as we look at chapter 3 verses 1 through 13 is that we would rediscover the wonder, 
the beauty of what God is doing through the gospel and what God is doing through the church. John Piper, who's known for helping us think about what it means to to delight in and to enjoy God, he said, for many, Christianity has become grinding out, the grinding out of general doctrinal laws from collections of biblical facts. I don't know if that uh, reflects or resonates with you that, that maybe Christianity just seems kind of stale, just about statements and, and truths and sermons. He said, that's what Christianity has become to many, but childlike wonder and awe have died. The scenery and poetry and music of the majesty of God have have dried up like a forgotten peach in the back of the fridge or curdled milk left too long or those leftovers. I I don't know if you're like this during during Corona, uh, you've, uh, you know, eaten at home a lot more often and you, you put those, um, you know, leftovers in the fridge and, uh, you know, you're, you're keeping up with your leftovers for a while, but then you forget and you put some more leftovers in there and then you shove some other things in and weeks go by and there in the back of the fridge, uh, there's something that's been forgotten that's got maybe, you know, green fuzzy things on it or, or something like that. that. That about describes for some of us the depth and the quality and the vibrancy of our joy in God, our childlike wonder and awe of what God has done through the gospel and what God is doing through the church. We we need to see afresh two things. We need to see what God has done through the gospel and what God is doing through the church. Look with me in verses one through seven of chapter three. As we've already read, Paul says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, what gets Paul fired up, what what gets Paul to to pause and and just expound upon what matters most in his heart is is not merely just gospel truths. What what gets Paul fired up is the thought of his participation in the gospel. You see, that's, that's what Paul's saying here. He's not just saying, oh yeah, I remember, let me tell you a gospel truth. He's saying, no, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. It's my participation in the, the role that God has given me in the gospel and making known the gospel. It's a good word for us not to be people who are only uh, fascinated with, with gospel truths, but that our, our hearts would be moved by the fact that God has called us, enlisted us to be a part of his gospel work. He describes this gospel work in verse 2 as the stewardship of God's grace. The stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. This, this refers to, to God's plan, or, or maybe in your translation it says the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. It's God's plan of salvation that comes as we saw in Ephesians 2, 8, by grace through faith in Christ. And Paul is saying this plan of God's salvation by grace through faith in Christ, he has given me and trusted me the responsibility of making this salvation known 
among the Gentiles. This was Paul's calling to make the gospel known to the Gentiles. This plan of God that we see beginning all the way back in Genesis. God's God's plan as he made all things, as he made people to to know him and enjoy him. And yet the fall uh, separated us from God and one another and from his creation. And how God made a promise that he was going to send a savior, a rescuer who would crush the head uh, of Satan and and bring about salvation through the offspring of a woman. And and how that line gets traced to to Abraham and the, the blessing of Abraham that was would come not just to Israel, but to all nations. And how that gets traced to, to David, the king who would sit upon the throne and who would have an offspring whose kingdom would never end and who would rule justly and righteously as God intended. All of this comes to fruition in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation by grace through faith. And Paul says, and now... What God has intended from the beginning, he's using me to make known to the nations, the Gentiles, or or the nations, the the ethne, the the nations of the world. There were Jews and there were everyone else, the the Gentiles, the nations. Paul is saying that, that God has called me and entrusted to me the job of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And as he goes on to describe this, uh, he, he uses a word that becomes uh, significant throughout our passage. He, he talks about in verse 3 that this mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've re- written about. He, he goes on in, in verse 4 to describe it as the mystery of Christ. And in verse 6, he talks about it again. And then in verse 9, which we'll see later, he talks about it being the mystery that was hidden in ages past. in God who created all things. In the Bible, when, when it talks about mystery, it's not, it's not talking about some secret knowledge that you know, only a few have or the spiritual elite have, right? Like it's, it's not some secretive thing that a select few have, but instead <clears throat> it's what was previously hidden to human knowledge or understanding that now God has chosen to reveal. <clears throat> we could call it an open secret. It's an open secret, one that's been revealed, an open secret about Christ. Christ is the the substance and the focus of the mystery. It's about the grace of God in Christ. As Paul goes on throughout this passage, uh, as he talks about the mystery in the same breath, he talks about the gospel. Look there uh, in in verse 7, which is kind of um, uh, a bracket with with verse 2. Verse 2 says, assuming that you know of the stewardship of God's grace given to me. Verse 7 says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. It's the mystery of Uh, of Christ and the gospel are intricately connected. And it's been revealed, an open secret about what God has done in Christ. The Bible won't allow us just to individualize the gospel and that it only saves our souls as if the gospel would have nothing to say about our life together. We, we saw this in Ephesians 2, that in Christ, God has reconciled sinners to himself, and then he's reconciled divided people to one another in Christ. That's what's at the forefront, forefront of Paul's mind as he articulates the gospel, which he describes as uh, this stewardship of God's grace that's been revealed to him and revealed in the apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. 
It's this gospel, this mystery of God's grace that, that God has not only saved sinners, as glorious as that news is, but that God has united those who are once divided into one new humanity, into a new creation called the church. That's, that's really what he's pressing home there in verse 6. Look, look again at verse 6. The mystery, this mystery that the gospel talks about, that the gospel reveals, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a mystery that now in Christ, the Gentiles, those who are far away from God's chosen people, Israel, far away from the promises, with no hope in the world, it said back in Ephesians 2 verse 12, they've now become, in a beautiful way, fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ. Together, 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 fellow members of the same body, partakers of the promise privilege, access, participation together equally, fully, joyfully in Christ. This is the mystery. It wasn't a mystery that God's plan included the Gentiles. We see that throughout the Old Testament. God has always intended to use his chosen people, not as an end in and of themselves, but to be a blessing to all people. But what was a mystery is that God would do this great work and bringing them together into one new body, into one new creation called the church. And in describing the reference to being members together of the same body, what's so powerful about this one commentator said is that Paul is loudly affirming the total integration and equality of believing Gentiles with believing Jews. The church is not Jews becoming Gentiles or Gentiles becoming Jews. It's Jews and Gentiles coming to Jesus, realizing the beauty of what God has done and bringing them together in Christ. It's not a Jewish Christianity or a Gentile Christianity, but it's a Christ Christianity. He's the substance. He's what's brought us together. It's Christ who defines us and unites us. And the reality that Paul describes here is what what God has been doing all over the world since Christ got up out of the tomb on Sunday morning. Christ has been taking united, divided people and bringing them together. United, dividing and warring uh, tribes and bringing them together in Christ. Taking the rich and the poor and bringing them into the same family to sit at the same table, to drink from the same cup and to eat from the same bread. He's taking those who are social outcasts and those who are social elites, those who have and those who have not. He's bringing together different ethnicities, different cultures, different races together as one, equal, fully united, joyfully united in Christ. This is the work that God has done through the gospel. That through Christ dying on the cross for our sins, dealing with the thing that we couldn't deal with ourselves, 
our our rebellion against him, our division against him, the, the judgment that we deserved. In doing so, he's opened up not only for us to be made right with him, but for us to be brought into a new people, a new creation, where whatever the differences may be among us, we stand on equal ground, fully united in Christ. This is the mystery that he's talking about. And this is the work of the gospel. When Paul says, I'm a prisoner for Christ for the sake of the Gentiles, he can't help but think this is what God was doing through the gospel. This is what God was doing. His plan uh, of, of salvation by grace through faith in Christ has led us here. As we've been saying throughout Ephesians 1 through 3, Ephesians 1 through 3 isn't, isn't about a, a call or a command to do this or that, but it's a, a revealing of God's vision for the church. And who's the church? We are. We are the church, and we are the church because of what God has done through the gospel. Oh, that God would give us fresh eyes to see what he's done through the gospel. That it would grip our hearts. That it would stir up within us a childlike wonder and awe. And Paul says this has come, this mystery that, that has, has, has come to him has been revealed. He talks about personal revelation in, uh, in verse 3. He says that it was revealed to him, um, made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. We don't have time, but if you wanted to look at Acts 26 verses 12 through 19, when Paul is sharing his testimony, he says, when God saved me, I was on my way on that Damascus road to persecute Christians. And Jesus showed up and he said, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that was an interesting statement because Paul was on the way to persecute Christians. But Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And just as we see in our passage, that what God is doing through the gospel, what God is doing in Jesus can't be separated from what God is doing in the church. And when God saved Paul on that road to Damascus, he not only set him apart in a special relationship with God, being made right with God, but he set him apart for a mission, a mission of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And he was, this personal revelation came to him, but it's not just something that only Paul has. Look what he goes on to say in verses 4 and 5. He says, you can see my insight into this mystery in verse 4 when you read this. But he says, it was not made known, this mystery of Christ, to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This is biblical revelation. This wasn't a special thing for Paul, but this is what God has given to the church, what he's entrusted to the church through the apostles and the prophets. This is a reference to, to Jesus' disciples who are apostles and Paul being among them who took the words of God and, 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 and they faithfully passed them down and we have them in the scriptures and the, the prophets who are led by the spirit of God and the early church to, to help keep the church faithful to the gospel message and work out its implications within their lives. See, what God revealed to Paul, he's now revealed in his word. So we too are entrusted with this gospel. The work that God has done through the gospel, he intends to keep on doing through the gospel, through his church. He wants to use us to have eyes to see this gospel. And, and, and as I think about why it's so significant that Paul takes this aside to, uh, to just dwell on the, on the reality of what God has done through the gospel... 
I think for us, as, as we uh, study the scriptures, as we uh, look at what God has revealed in his word, it's easy for us to be familiar with what he said. So familiar that we, we just keep pushing it back and back in the fridge. Before too long, it gets a little stale. And then it gets a little moldy. And then it's of no use. We, we need fresh vision of what God is doing through the gospel. How he wants to use us. He's entrusted us with the gospel. How fresh are your eyes to see the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of God reconciling sinners to himself. Do you remember? Do you remember how that happened in your life? How God took you, a sinner, an enemy of God, and brought you to himself? How God has brought you into the family of God, uniting you across all kinds of barriers and backgrounds with his people? It's a beautiful vision of what God has done through the gospel, and we needed fresh eyes to see it. But not only what God has done through the gospel, but what God is doing through the church. He goes on in verse 8, and he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So it ends with this personal admonition. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. See, in verses 8 through 13, We're going to turn our attention to what God is doing in the world through the church. But to begin with, we're going to see how Paul understands his ministry in relation to the church. We're we're going to see that we can't understand the gospel apart from the church, that they're bound up together in God's plan because ultimately God creates the church through the preaching of the gospel. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I just want to pause here and and make note of what Paul does here that's instructive for us. If we want to create a gospel culture in our church that's derived from gospel doctrine, believing rightly about the gospel, if we want to see a culture created in us, then we we need to do the kind of thing that Paul does in verse 8. When he talks about the gospel, he can't talk about the gospel without thinking about what it means for him personally. When he thinks about the reality of of being a part of God's great work of the gospel in the world, to to see the church created, see the church uh, developed, he's humbled. To have a gospel culture, we must be people who are humbled by the truth of the gospel. Paul says, I am the least of all the saints. You think about any believer you can come up with, and Paul says, I'm the least. Is Paul just self-deprecating? You know, is he just trying to kind of humble brag you know, to, his, um, to these churches throughout Ephesus? 
No, I, I think Paul saw the gospel for what it was. And he couldn't help but see himself for who he was apart from the grace of God. We, we need that. To, to have a gospel culture, we have to be willing to, to have some hard and honest conversations with ourselves sometimes uh, in light of what the gospel says. We need to be willing to examine ourselves in, in light of what God says. And for that to, to work itself out in the way not only we think about ourselves, but in the way that we interact with one another. Paul's humbled by the gospel, but he goes on to say, not only am I humbled by the gospel, but I've been given a job. I've been entrusted with the responsibility to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's really a profound thing because this is, as I said earlier, this is what put Paul in prison. If you go back and read in Acts as he proclaimed Jesus as the promised Messiah, many were upset about that. But when he started telling them that he was going to take that message to the Gentiles and for them to be fully included in the people of God, that's when they lost it. That's when they put him in jail. And Paul says, no matter the cost, not only have I been humbled by the gospel, but I'm willing to give up everything for the gospel. There's a gospel culture, people who are humbled because they rightly understand the gospel. And when you rightly understand the gospel, you can't help but give yourself fully away in response to that gospel. Do you know God's grace for yourself? Have you thought about the gospel and thought about what that means for you? You know, we've said that the, the gospel is the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That he lived a perfect life, which you and I have all failed to live. That he died in our place and for our sin. He died the death that we deserve to die. And he rose victorious from the grave on the third day. Our sin and death couldn't hold him down, but he rose. And because he rose and he is seated at the right hand of God, anyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who will turn from their sin and put their trust in him will, will experience the life that God has promised in Christ. Do you know that for yourself? I know it's easy to be familiar with information about Jesus. But you can't just know stuff about Jesus without asking yourself what it means for you. Believers, we need to do this constantly. But if you've yet to, to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, your full allegiance in him as your savior and say, God, you get to call the shots in my life. I'm not living my way and for me any longer. You're in charge. I believe you died and you rose and I can't help but, but give my life to you. We, we want you to do that today. We want you to call out to him, confess your sin, and put your trust in Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you and who rose so that you might be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. If you want to make that decision or talk to someone about it, we would love to have that conversation. Text the number that's on the screen so that we can follow up with you. But, but look at how he continues when he talks about this grace, this gospel. He, he further describes it as the unsearchable riches of Christ. When, when Paul thinks about the gospel, as we've already seen, he, he steps back and he's amazed at what God has done through the gospel. But here, he makes up a word to talk about it. 
I don't know if you, you have friends like this, but they, you know, they're, they're talking and sometimes they just make up a word and you're like, I don't know that that's a word, but I'm going to roll with it, you know, because you sounded confident. Um, that's a, you know, just a key in life. You know, if you're confident, whatever you say, just kind of roll with it. Well, Paul is pr- particularly confident here. He just makes up a word. He says the unsearchable riches of Christ, unsearchable. No other time that this occurs in the New Testament, it's literally, it comes from the word footprint, refers to a a tracker, one who follows footprints. Paul is saying that the riches of Christ can't be calculated. You can't search them out. You can follow a set of tracks. You can go down a path following the tracks of God's riches of his grace, and you get to the end of it, and you realize that it's only one set of tracks. There's more tracks to follow. There's more paths to go down. And you keep going down them. You see, Christ is the only thing, the only one with whom we can spend our whole life searching out and and looking at what he's done and who he is without ever exhausting the fullness of who he is and what he's done. He tells us that when we come to Christ, we're not losing anything. We're not giving up anything so great that we don't receive back a hundred times over. When you come to Christ, you don't lose, you gain. That's why Jesus could say that to lose your life is to find it. But if you try to hold on to it, if you try to make it, what you want, to make it for yourself. The paradox is you'll lose it. To lay down your life is to find it. The riches of Christ tell us that whatever we give up, we gain back even more, even better. We could lose everything in this world and still be exceedingly rich if we know Christ. What are those riches? I would encourage you to go back and read chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Read about forgiveness. Read about being adopted and uh, and chosen. About the freedom that comes through Christ. The peace that we have with God. Peace with God that we're no longer enemies. And a peace that controls our heart. Hope in what's to come. God's presence with us in our trials. Comfort in our sorrow. Joy upon joy. And not only do we experience this in isolation, but we're a part of God's forever family. These are the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you know Christ for yourself? Do you know this to be true? Believer, do you need to be reminded of what the gospel is? John Stott said, once we're sure that the gospel is both true from God and its riches for mankind, then nothing should keep us silent. So if we're reminded of this gospel that Paul is, is entrusted with, that we in, in turn have been entrusted with, this gospel that's full of the unsearchable riches of Christ, if we know it to be true and we know it to be good, who are you seeking to make it known to? We must not be silent, church. This gospel is what we're called to share. This gospel is what we're called to make known. 
God creates the church through the preaching of the gospel. And he goes on in verse 9 and he says that the church is strengthened through the working out of the implications of the gospel. Paul says, I not only preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, but it's connected. And I do something else. In addition to preaching, I try to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul not only proclaims the gospel, but he's trying to bring to light the mystery of Christ, which we've talked about. It's not just the vertical dimension of the gospel, but the horizontal dimension of the gospel. What's true of the church? This plan of the mystery is the mystery of Christ, Jew and Gentile united in the church, in the body of Christ, through the cross of Christ. Paul's already prayed back in chapter 1, verse 18, that our our minds would be opened, our eyes would be opened and enlightened to what we have in Christ, the inheritance that we share with the saints. Paul's saying we need to be reminded of who we are. And who we are, we're reminded of when we work out the implications of the gospel in all of our life. Here at Treasuring Christ, we, we are defined by this good news of Jesus that we exist to multiply disciples who delight in declare and display the gospel in all of life and for the good of Ann Arbor. And when we do that, we'll be a part of God's work of taking the gospel to the nations. Be a part of seeing his church established here in Southeast Michigan, across North America and to the ends of the earth. But we need to be reminded of who we are. And perhaps like never before, we need to be reminded of the vision of who God is is calling us to be. We need to keep pressing in and working out the gospel to be reminded of who we are as the church. And that brings us to to verse 10, that as, as Paul talks about the gospel, what he's doing through the gospel, it comes together in the church and he says that God's manifold wisdom is displayed in the world through the church. So that, here's the purpose of the, of the work of the gospel, of this horizontal work of the gospel and united Jew and Gentile together in Christ, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted, multicultural, multicolored wisdom of God would be shown in the world. And not just in the sense of in the world around us, but it's even bigger. It's a cosmic vision for the church that through the church, God's showing to the angels and the demons, the spiritual realities that is a little fuzzy for us to wrap our minds around, but that Paul has already talked about here in Ephesians. God is saying through the church, he intends to show the universe, the heavenly places, the rulers and authorities, his manifold wisdom. How incredible God is and what he intends to do. Piper, who I mentioned earlier, he said, most of us live our lives with far too little awareness of the stupendous realities around us. Most of us go throughout, uh, go through day after day and seldom feel the impact of the magnitude of what we are caught up in by belonging to Jesus the ruler of the universe, and we don't take enough time to meditate on how our jobs and our home life, our our leisure, our campus life, our church involvement, how all of these fit into the cosmic significance of the church. And consequently, our life often lacks the flavor of eternity, the aroma of something ultimate. I share this longing with with Piper when he says, oh, that there might be more people among us whose manner of life mirrors something mysterious 
and wonderful and whose words have a cosmic significance. The vision that Paul gives for the church, that God intends for the church, is much greater than what we often think, than what we often give credit for. He intends through the church to show, show the heavenly beings, the beauty, the wisdom, the power of God. And how does he do that? How is the manifold wisdom of God made known in the, uh, through the church? It's made known in how God has united and brought together Jew and Gentile in Christ. He's, he's showing us this, this reality and this vision of what God has done in Christ. And, and he's, he's saying that in the unity, in the midst of diversity, God is displaying the manifold wisdom of God. As we think about this truth, as we think about what Paul is saying, it's similar to what we saw in verses 11 through 22. It's not first and foremost a call to do anything. Think about that. It's a, it's a vision of what God has accomplished. It's a vision of, of who God has called his church to be. To be a diverse people united in Christ. And in that, God is showing off in the world. We saw back in, in chapter 2 verse 7 that we've been saved by grace through faith. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us who believe. In, in a similar way, uh, this riches of God's grace that he's shown towards us. We are reflecting and showing in the universe. But here's, here's the rub. We've been talking about over these last two, week, two weeks, the gospel, race, and the church. And, and we can't help but see the continuation of this here in chapter 3 as Paul talks about the mystery of Christ that is uh, the mystery of, of divided people, Jew and Gentile, united fully, equally, together in Christ, in the church. That this is God's plan. That God's vision of what should be true in the church for the universe has often been untrue on the ground. Tony Evans, who's a pastor in Dallas of Oak Cliff Fellowship, he said the biggest problem in the culture today is the failure of the church. It's a Dallas Times article written this last week. He said we wouldn't even have a racial crisis in America if the church had not consistently failed to deal with racism as the severe sin that it is. But because the church historically ignored and downplayed, at best we were often complicit, at worst we contributed to the division and the animosity. If we hadn't ignored and downplayed and been complicit and contributed, the issue wouldn't exist. Where the church is called to set an example, we have cowered. And as I think about our present reality and the beauty of God's vision in our passage, God's vision hasn't failed. Oh, it's, it's true. Like we, we are myopic and we think, oh, the, the church in America has often failed. And many have. But not all. God always has a people who will bear witness to his vision. And he's always been at work in the world. 
Oh, it's, 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 not, it's not that America is God's chosen people and the American church is the only place that God is at work. God is at work all across this world amongst all people displaying the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenlies. Even when we don't participate it, God's vision hasn't failed, but we have too often and for too long failed to live out his vision within our church. You see, Paul is talking about what's true of the universal church. But listen, Christian, you're in Christ. Yes, you are a part of this universal church that's displaying the manifold wisdom of God. But God intends for every Christian to be connected to a local church where these things are worked out and displayed. If you're not connected to a local church, how are you contributing to the vision that God has for the church? I don't want to live any longer knowing the vision that God has laid out in his word and us putting off or failing to pursue wholeheartedly, making that vision a reality in our life and in our church. God is calling us not just to be like a family, but to be a family and not just to be any family, but be a diverse family, united together in Christ, displaying the wisdom of God. And listen, if God intends for the church to get the attention of the heavens, if we live like that, we'll get the attention of our neighbors. If we live united in the midst of diversity. And, and, and I want to just press in one, one step further here. And, and as we've talked over these last few weeks, we've talked about how in Christ we're united. It's not a Gentile Christianity or a Jewish Christianity, but a, a Jesus Christianity, a Christ Christianity. But, but here's the thing about God displaying the manifold wisdom of God. I think it's that not only does he display the manifold wisdom of God and our unity in Christ, but also in the midst of all the different ways and, and the diversity that we have within the church. You see, far too often within especially the American church and with, within predominantly white evangelical churches, we, we have assumed the standard being white American culture without, uh, without fully and deeply appreciating the, the different ethnic and racial uh, backgrounds and cultures that God is bringing into the church, that God has put around us in our communities. And so what we must do is not look to uh, expand and, and show forth the diversity of the church merely as a means of entertainment, but as a means of enjoying and experiencing the manifold wisdom of God, that God created us this way. It's the God who did this in creation, who made us in his image. And God intended that those he made in his image to redeem. And when he redeems us, he has even greater purposes to restore us to his intention in the beginning, to experience his manifold wisdom. That's what I want. That's what I long for, for treasuring Christ's church. And for that to be a reality, for, for this to be true of us on the ground as it's supposed to be true in the, the universe, as it, it's been God's eternal purpose, it says in verse 11, that these things would be realized in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, in whom, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. For us to experience the vision of God that's to be true in the universe, for us to experience that on the ground here in our church, here in Treasuring Christ Church, we have to enjoy the fellowship 
The, the unity, uh, the unity that we have with God is expressed in enjoying fellowship with God, boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It's, it's a walking together, a pursuing Christ together, a enjoying our, our differences as well as enjoying the one who unites us. And listen, I believe if we do this, then all the hard things we need to talk about. We've been in our family talks trying to lay out where we are and and what God is calling us to, the vision that he's calling us to be advocates for for reconciliation in the world and in the church. And now we need to to press into saying, so how are we going to get there and what's going to keep us back? And there may be hard questions. We need to face up to some things that have been true of, of churches and, and, and perhaps even in our church and, and things that have, have, are true in our culture that we need to wrestle through and figure out how we can be united even in the midst of differences of opinions and preferences. But I'm convinced if we're pursuing Christ together and we're pursuing one another, we can experience the vision that God has for us. Our unity must be experienced in our shared pursuit of God and our shared pursuit of one another. Do you see what God has done through the gospel? Do you see what God is doing through the church? Will you join me in giving yourself to this vision? Paul ends, he says, I I don't want you to be discouraged. I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. When you participate in the gospel, when you give yourself to the gospel, it not only humbles you, but it calls you to give everything. And if we have a vision of what God has done through the gospel and what he's doing through the church, then we must give ourselves to it. I want what God has laid out to be true in the heavens to be true here on the earth for us. I want us to see what God has done through the gospel. And not only see it, but join in. I want us to see what he's doing through the church. Not only see it, I want us to join in. God is at work through the church in the world to display his manifold wisdom. And what we need is not only to hold fast to that that gospel, that work that God has done and is doing, but to have fresh eyes to see it so that we'll boldly and faithfully give ourselves fully to it. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done through the gospel and what you're doing through the gospel today. God, thank you for the vision that you've laid out in the church. God, may we, may we take hold of it and not only see it, but give ourselves to it. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Give us eyes to see like you see. Let us love as you have loved us. God, may we give ourselves to you and to one another in response to you giving yourself fully and freely for us. Display your manifold wisdom, God, in our church as we seek to be a diverse family, united in Christ, committed to delighting in, declaring, and displaying the gospel in all of life and for the good of our city. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Continue in worship with us.